Good afternoon, everybody, or good morning, depending on where you are watching or listening to today's episode from. Um, this is episode 19. Um, so we are nearly at the end of season one of the Event Tech Talk Show, 21 in the series. Um, there will be a little bit of a short break, though, as many of you may or may not know, um, we are six days out from the start of Event Tech Live London 2022, um, which is a five-day hybrid event this year. So from the 1st of November to the 5th of November, a full week of online digital learning, education, great speakers from all around the world. And that is going to be married with our traditional uh, two days in person at the Old Truman Brewery in London. Um, I know many of you are actually traveling from all around the world. We've got people coming from America, from Canada, from the Middle East, I think even as far as the APAC region. Um, so I'm really excited to welcome you all back to those two in-person days if you're joining us um, again or for the first time. Um, four stages of content at that event um, also broadcast into our event platform, which has been powered by Grip, um, our platform provider this year. Um, and it's going to be a great week. So if you've not already registered, there's no excuse. You can dip in, you can dip out, um, you can attend virtually, you can attend physically, in person. Um, so hopefully we'll see you there. Go and register at eventtechlive.com forward slash London. Registration is free. Um, and if you have missed any of the previous 18 episodes, please do go and check them out on all of the major podcasting networks, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google, uh, Pandora, the, the list is endless. Uh, or you can actually watch them all back um, if you want to um, at eventtechlive.com forward slash podcasts. And we have a very exciting announcement coming very, very soon. All of our content is actually going to be powered by Clipper for the Event Tech Talks show. And that'll mean that you can actually go off and um, search the entire catalogue of the last 18 episodes and 21 by the time we get to the end of it. And you'll be able to search for things like AI and VR and the metaverse and innovation. And it'll bring in and showcase to you everywhere that those topics have been um, mentioned. So hopefully saving you a lot of time um, getting to the uh, the nitty gritty of the content that you want to actually watch. So that brings me on nicely to today's episode, episode 19. I am joined by Mahogany Jones, the founder of Event Specialists all the way from Canada. Thank you very much for joining me. I know it's early for you, Mahogany, so I appreciate you getting up bright and early and, and joining me on today's episode. Thanks for having me. It's not too early. It's only 10 a.m. Eastern. <laughs> Not too bad. Um, Mahogany, today's episode, we are probably going to cover a lot. I know you're vastly experienced in actually in the in the virtual event world, been doing it for, for many, many years. Um, and, but today we're going to talk a little bit more about innovation and are we seeing a little slowdown? Are we seeing even a stop in innovation? Is everything becoming a little bit samey? Um, I think we've had a, a few conversations about this now, so I'm really interested to get into kind of your mind and your thoughts and feelings about where we're going as a sector and as event tech. Um, but before we do that, I'd love to set the scene and give our listeners and viewers a little bit of a background on how you got started in the events industry and what event specialists get up to. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here and looking forward to my 
first Event Tech Live in person. It's going to be a great show. Um, I began in the event space back in my childhood days, to be honest with you. Um, one of my very first events was working with the regional hospital, our local hospital. I had the privilege of being able to join the events team um, to help produce fundraisers for the hospital. And then I sort of became obsessed with what events look like. Uh, I wanted to know everything, the design behind the scenes, how they were able to get the props into the hospital, why it was designed the way it was. And then it sort of evolved from there. Um, I also went to school to become a doctor, but um, truth be told, when you find out when you finish school and you can't get an event job because you went to school to become a doctor and you have a science degree, I felt like it was an opportunity to marry both worlds. And then I ended up in the education world for, um, for the medical industry and then sort of snowballed from there. That is kind of where we actually had the ability. I feel like pharma and medical was far ahead of the game and we were able to start hybrid back in 2008 and more virtual and digital style activations um, from there and then we've kind of grown from there. So a couple of things I've taken away from that you fell into events just like everybody else I feel like mm -hmm. we need to change the def definition of what uh, it means to be in the events industry because I think whether we're on supply chain organizer side event owner event promoter everybody seems to have accidentally in some way found their calling. I think Absolutely. you, I think it is a calling because I think you either have to be, you either hate it or love it, our sector. It's either for you or it's yeah. not. Um, but really interesting that you were, you were, I guess, ahead of the game, really. What was the, what was the driving reason for the adoption from your side of like that hybrid model quite early on? Um, there was no, obviously no pandemics, no, no, no mm -hmm. things getting no roadblocks in that sense. But so what else was, was driving that desire to, to use that format? To be honest, my very first hybrid event, it was, um, it was coming off of a brainstorming session. What I would actually call a dying event. Um, we were seeing the decline in the registrations. We were seeing decline in, at least in Canada. I know it happened across the board too, but we were starting to see the decline in the professional development budgets and who was able to attend. We had a lot of government um, attendees who were coming, travel budgets were getting cut and things like that. Mm -hmm. So in the time, I mean, there was always rumblings of the technology we had started to do webinar series and things like that so my thought process is why don't we attempt the hybrid i mean there was no training at the time and i remember um even the organization i was working for at the time was like oh we're not we're not we're totally not doing this like this technology and my thought was well we can't break it we can't make it worse and we either attempt something or we continue to lose our attendance. And we were also up against another show that, um, truth be told, I mean, I think it was a great strategy on their side. They actually followed our event um, to be sure that they would get the attendance at theirs. So they followed ours, essentially took our audience because it was a similar audience to theirs. So I said, it's time for us to compete. And that is when we, we attempted to work with our AV partner and run our first hybrid back in 2008 and and be brutally honest what was that first time experience like 
both from the planning perspective and, and kind of post event what did it what did it feel like after the event did you feel like it was a success with the things you I changed? did actually yeah. um truth be told I've always been an early adopter of technology lover of all things um technology I also hated printing the program guides and the binders that we were bringing on site to give out to all of the attendees with all of the handouts. And so I was also the early adapter of the or early adopter of the, the app so that we didn't have to deal with all of the printing and all of the things that went with it. So for me, this was the next step and it made sense. Um, truth be told, you know, you're nervous in that it may not go well. Um, and to be honest with you for the six hour event we may have had two comments in the chat to this day i still find that actually fascinating um but we can look at the stats and see that they actually watched the whole day so every time people were saying oh they're not engaged there's no this they're not taking anything away where it's a waste of time i remember thinking well my very first hybrid the virtual audience legit two people of the i think it was 80 something people who were there posted a comment one being the father of the chair and so i knew that if we were able to get the return on investment from that if we've properly designed we'll blow it out of the park so that's it's really interesting to me that you you know arguably what what many people would see as a as an early trendsetter successfully used whatever technology was available to you then to deliver that hybrid experience um, i know we've gone through a period over the last couple of years because of the pandemic of, of, of rapid development by many technology platforms a lot of individuals who from a technology background have come into the market to to serve technology to the mm -hmm. market but then also you know individuals like yourself who've felt a need to that there's not enough innovation out there or the technology doesn't quite sit right or for for purpose so i've gone off and either worked with technology partners or developed them, their own products and solutions so i i feel like we've seen a, a kind of a massive mm -hmm. shift over the last two years in terms of adoption but looking back then i think well my own personal opinion here mahogany i think the technology that we had was to the point in which it was demanded. And that's mm -hmm. why we've gone through a period of, of, of massive change because technology companies can only obviously invest and develop based on the revenues and the business that's being driven right. and the, re the requirements of the customers and things. So do you think that, I'm gonna pose a, a, a problematic question. Do you think our industry is part of the problem when it came to innovation or to the to the lack of bespoke technology for our sector because we weren't willing to invest in it what was your oh, experience back then in terms of, of of sourcing the technology for your for your first hybrid event wholeheartedly i also say that we were also our biggest biggest hurdle i mean how many planners i mean i've been beating the hybrid drum for for years and i felt like i was um i was almost on this soapbox all alone because the stats or the details regardless of what we were saying we were still hearing the same what i would still to this day call a myth about what it means to go hybrid and what happens when we go hybrid but i feel like the planners also stopped a lot of those conversations i mean i would be 
hushed. And I, even, even when the pandemic became, I was hushed. Like they were, do not speak about technology. And I remember even when the pandemic hit um, contract role, supporting an organization and they literally said mahogany is not to be in this meeting because she believes in virtual and if mahogany is here she is going to share that virtual is doable and all of these things but we are not prepared to do it it's too much extra work it's too much cost so i felt like we were also shooting ourselves in the foot so early in my days i began from a negotiation tactic of what it means to host a hybrid and what it can do and that very first event we produced was like a 300% increase in revenue. And it was always something that I brought to the table to say a perfect hybrid doesn't necessarily have to exist out the gate, but a perfect strategy can at least get you the money and the funding to help you to build along the way so that you're not losing the momentum. But it's also not negative. And to, to actually literally say mahogany is not to be brought to the table. Um, is also, I mean, that was also a challenge. So I always started with, here are the stats for the American counterpart. I mean, that was one of my biggest drivers for all conversations for a while here in Canada, because we were doing it for the US counterpart, not for the Canadians. It's so interesting, isn't it? That, uh, and I've been in that position myself mm -hmm. as, a dis as a disruptor, as somebody who's looking maybe 5, 10, 15, the, the opportunities that are presented to us yeah. by technology you are often left on the sideline because you rocked the boat a little bit too much. You introduce yeah. conversation, whereas, let's be honest about it, many people, the great thing about events sometimes is that they don't change that much. People come to expect a certain type of yeah. event and a certain experience. And when you introduce new things, that changes the dynamic and it does create more work. But it's so interesting that you were left out of those conversations considering you know, it, I bet it, you know. In hindsight, you should have been right at the top of that table, and uh, discussing what the potential could be. I mean, I, fear I, is there. Fear yeah. is still there today. So, I hear it. I've, I hear it often for many people, and maybe this is something you can offer advice on how you overcame being left out of the conversations, or came overcame those challenges of convincing budget holders and 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 people that are steering organisations right from the top to take a risk, embrace, think new ways, because this is often something I come across when speaking to people in roles of delivering events. They want to do things. They want mm -hmm. to try new things. They see technology often as an extra an extra tool in their arsenal to be able to yeah. deliver an event or do something different throughout the year. Is there anything that you can offer in terms of your own experience or advice in ways to approach those conversations, especially tough ones about, you know, all of a sudden we need an event platform and maybe that is five, 10 K mm -hmm. or we need to, you know, increase our AV provision because we need to bring this and that in and, but this will do this. How, how have you overcome those challenges in the past mahogany? I often start with, um, which is actually one of our core values. We believe in starting small and then starting with what you do well and then growing from there. Um, how I was even able to get started for some of the other organizations and have them as an early adopter was to start with something that they already saw value in to showcase how we could enhance it. So if you had an exceptional keynote speaker, we had one client, um, I want to say back in 2009, 10, 
They were known for their exceptional keynote speakers. They always had somebody phenomenal. And my proposal to them was year one, let us stream only that portion, just the keynote. And then next year, let's see based on attendance, what we want to do next. I also armed myself with stats um, and stats relevant to them. I felt like the case study of money is always a great one, um, but it's also to be put in context. If not every event has the same elements, I mean, this organization, it was a, a legal association. So it was a little bit easier to pull numbers because we had sales after the fact. I mean, early on, if you were an early adopter, you were used to packaging those CDs and mailing them out after the conference. And then it was a big deal when we went to DVDs and we could do DVD covers. That's totally dating us. But it shows that we were able to put it to an easier format. And that was my sell. So my sell was that we were going to make this easier, more cost effective and refocus our budget. So because we always did, I shouldn't say always, for the most part, you did budget negotiations early on. I always like to show that we can move budget numbers yeah. to make it work for us, add extra lighting, add different things like that, instead of putting our money towards extra. I mean, I always got slapped on the hand for this too. And I'm like, we didn't need flowers. I'm like, just put lights. Like, let's use lights versus flowers to change the look of the room to then also enhance the audience look for the virtual side. So it was things like that, reworking your budget. I mean, every time I hear the platform costs way too much or this and that, how much are you spending on your venue? How much are you spending on food and beverage? Is that a necessity? Is it a need versus a want? And then have a look at where you're spending your money and what can benefit have you considered redesigning with your AV company? I feel like that is one of the biggest line items that we don't truly look at. I feel like as planners, we're afraid to talk AV. Truth be told, I would have owned an AV company if I knew about that world first. But ask them what we're doing and how we can actually look at that to make it work for us. Maybe we're already spending and they have the infrastructure there. We just aren't thinking how to use it. So that's where I feel like we talk so much about what it costs and it's prohibitive that we forget to bring those ideas to the table. Just bring, we will consider working within the same budget to the table and that will at least get you a conversation. I love that advice. Reallocation of budget. Re I don't yeah. think people often check the budget every as often as we probably should do, you know, yeah. checking where costs are, what can we trim back from last year? Like you say, having those conversations with our current suppliers or trusted mm -hmm. partners or let's even be honest about it taking a chance on somebody new going out there mm -hmm. and, and you know doing a new rfp or, or looking at the market has technology moved on with other suppliers because often av companies and, and rightly so they you know stretch the lifespan of their technology out as far as it possibly can yeah. because obviously they need a return on investment on that themselves and it's huge capex in terms of av so often they want you to stay the same as last year because they know they've got that kit on the shelves mm -hmm. whereas a new supplier might have come in and say hey we can cut your wi-fi and broadband or connectivity bill in half yep. or you can have double the bandwidth and now that allows you to do streaming and x y and z for the same price but until you engage with those suppliers, you don't know, right? You don't, you don't know what's out there. You only know what you had in the past. I think my personal opinion as well, and, and this comes down to the innovation of our sector in the way that we mm -hmm. present value to our stakeholders and our customers and things like that, is changing our mindset to 
things like sponsorship opportunities, you know, things like, oh, it's always about how big your logo can be on a banner at an event, right? That was always the thing. For most <laughs> the, <logos. laughs> the, 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 um, the coasters, the, the lanyards, the, the, all the physical representation stuff, which if I'm honest, it's got a great place, but as somebody that's heavily into sustainability, I would much prefer something to come unbranded or reusable yeah. in that sense um it's just going to be better for generations to come in our sector we have a huge footprint so yep. any of that stuff it is good but now we have you know there's so many platforms that offer now sponsorship and and you know they have those statistics behind them that they can quantify the roi of or the extra lead capture and roi that a, a sponsor might get through a display advert or a, or a desktop notification mm-hmm. um and even with grip that we're using for event tech live one of the things that they're great as is is the allocation of sponsor of a sponsorship against a session so that the speaker can have visibility on who's engaging mm-hmm. with their sessions and things like that they're all new revenue opportunities and i i i don't think there's many people out there that couldn't take at least half a dozen of those and cover the cost of a platform if they were if they were savvy enough in terms of their Absolutely. approach on that so the the platform argument i think there's enough opportunity out there with them that they should quite easily become cost cost zero, if not mm-hmm. driving revenue through the business. Yep. But I guess our early be- days, that was our biggest, actually that was our easiest sell to say you get lifetime logo on the actual player versus, you know, on the printed materials that we're mailing. Well, we, we even had that conversation here with some of our sponsors this year at Event Tech Live. They've, they have taken physical sponsorships such as stage branding mm. but because of the way that we now record and live stream or, or we have planned to live stream and record all of our content they have lifetime value on that because everything's in shot their logos their messaging right. their branding and there's digital ways that you can kind of feed that in so even if you go down the route of well we've still got this stage branding this sponsorship and the physical event if you think about it cleverly there's ways you can incorporate and present that value back to your to your sponsors. But that kind of brings me on to the big question, the elephant in the room. You said to me that you feel that from an event tech perspective, there's been a slowing down of innovation and maybe even possibly that we, we've stopped, in, stopped innovating. Why do you think that is? A little bit I feel like is overwhelm. Okay. And to be fair, um, uh, I feel like it's an overwhelm. I also feel like um, without being disrespectful to any of the players, I feel like we've stopped adopting innovation in exchange for buying market share. So we've, we're assuming that because someone has sales, that that is an area that is of interest or, that is the innovation that we need. But I feel like we've stopped looking at what we're truly looking for. I mean, technology is a tool to enhance what we're doing. It's a tool to make the experience that we want to design happen. It is not the starting point. And I feel like we've gone from a conversation of how can we make this better with technology to how could I make my technology more appealing for everybody to buy? And then it, I feel like it just, we've, we've, kind of backstepped and we just started buying market share and we just stopped 
because we actually aren't asking the right questions. We're not asking what everyone wants. I mean, you and I have had this conversation multiple times. Who decided that video on means we're engaging? Yeah. A video conferencing tool was never meant to really be the be all end all. And it's not a virtual event. And it's also not the technology that you you think you're describing when you say virtual event. So that's where I feel like we've kind of lost, almost lost our way and that we're blinded by dollar signs and market share versus how can we make this better? Yeah, I, I must admit, we've all seen the headlines, hopping, hubbillo, grip, thirdly, that, I, you know, for anybody that I'm not mentioning their company name on, on live on air or on this podcast, I do apologize. There's lots of you out there that have oh, wow. done a massive amount of fundraising at the moment. And I'm not honestly seeing a lot of that going to roadmap. Might not be visible to me. It mm -hmm. might not be, it might not, they might not be wanting to share all the new functions and features and fund, uh, fundament, uh, fundamental things that are coming. There's been a lot of improvement um, there's no shadow of a doubt there. There's been a lot of uh, platforms consistently improving their platform to get a better experience or a smoother experience. But I've not seen much recently that's blown me away and gone, you're the next big thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you're right that probably a lot of those market, those, those investment dollars are going into market share, marketing, people, people acquisition, yeah, audience acquisition. We've seen, I'm, I'm probably going to offend some people now, we've all seen the Times Square, you know, we've raised a, a, a couple of hundred million kind of adverts and you kind of go, okay, why, why, but why? Um, and there is the old saying that, and I, I posted this on Twitter the other day, better, the better marketing often wins out over the better product. Fair. Because yep. you, you need to get that product in front of people. And I'm not... Hey, listen, I'm in, I'm in the role of, allow, of providing machines in which these people can market these products and services too, but I am fundamentally about our industry first and foremost and making sure that we are a really strong, viable option to bring people together, whether that's online or in person, and technology should be a part of that. If you, though, I'm going to put, you, I'm going to put this question to you, Mahogany. If you had a couple of hundred million and enough resource to do everything you want, where would you focus those dollars? Where would you see mm -hmm. with your mind, the ability to innovate and bring new solutions, products, ways of working to the market? If, if, for all the founders and the event technology companies out there, give them, give them, give them a little bit and then they can consult Ooh. with you afterwards. <laughs> you know what, that's a great question. If I think of where I would put a couple hundred million I would totally go for, actually, I would go, I would go for the engineers first. I would actually go for who I want um, from the different providers, those who are innovative, those who are trying to beat the innovation drum, but are being stopped by the team, the time, all of those things. I would compile them, but I would also go to the industry people we don't think of first, our set designers, our broadcast producers, um, I would definitely go to a lot of the, if I think of trade show designers and organizers, the, those who do the renderings and the design, I like that, I would also add them to the team and then I would build something. I would, nice. I would totally compile, compile the best and then build. But well, yes. there you go. 
If there's any but I wouldn't take just the salespeople because I feel like they didn't understand. I want the engineers who can give me a true timeline of what we can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, let's be honest. When when sales comes early on in product cycle or product development, those salespeople are there to do a job, which is to sell product. That's right. And anybody in sales will often promise the world in terms of in terms of timescales and delivery and what a solution yeah. can do because they're driven by numbers and arguably under a lot of pressure consistently by and an organization. And it's fair, that's their yeah. KPI, yep. Yeah, product and delivery, are, they're, they're totally different. They, they they have sprints and they have product roadmap, but it's often about it's often about shipping a really good solid product rather mm -hmm. than having to satisfy a customer that's banging on your door because you, they want that product right there and then. I think starting off with the people is a must, right? Because it's those people internally that are gonna ultimately build what mm -hmm. either makes or breaks you as a as an organization. I think one of the challenges that I saw over the last kind of two years was the demand in terms of what our industry wanted from the platform providers. Right. Just there was there was no way that they were ever going to be able to deliver on those on, or build those products internally, which meant that they had to go out and get messaging platforms or video streaming platforms. Yeah chat functions and ultimately they've kind of put it together with i'm gonna i don't want to be offensive but super glue and and and, and, duct, and, blue tape. Tack and duct tape to make it work yeah um a lot of the platforms are now you know building internally building for product you know doing all of the great things that we will see kind of to kind of come um down the roadmap but my own opinion on where innovation comes from I think it needs to be more of a partnership. I think the partnerships need to be between the supplier and the organizer. And I also believe that some of the suppliers need to focus down on what type of events they serve. Because yeah. over the last kind of 12, 18 months, any business has been good business. Um, but just as I always give this analogy. I say, I'm going to have to stop it. I'll give it one more time. And that's it after this season. I give it the automotive analogy. You have car manufacturers out there that make a wide range of products, but often kind of focus on one specific market. So they're either in the haulage market or they're in the sports car market. Yeah. You know, those, those pinnacle vehicles are known for being kind of service of a, you know, you go fast around the track or you're really great at shipping things across the country. And I think that's what we need to see in this market. I think I think some of the suppliers need to go, okay, we are great at providing a pre-record on-demand uh, uh, experience. Absolutely. So, so I, think, I think if we can do that, but do you think that we need more, we need more, more of that from the planner and organizer side? I've I got, feel I've, like it's twofold, yep. You go. I do feel like it's it's everyone. I feel like collaboration over competition will win. And I, I know, um, I mean, yes, I'm not a billion dollar company. I get it that I can't buy the market share. But I do feel like there's something to be said for those who collaborate well. I mean, how many platforms are you seeing the integration of the technology versus the buying of the tech stacks or the like, or the conversation of, well, you can connect it via Zapier or whatever the above technology is. But 
to be fair, those that work the best are the ones that are working together. I mean, there is no shame in saying you're a platform provider first. We do not do project management. I mean, how many of them actually say that? And then others who say they do, like it's a it's a disservice to the industry to say you do something that you you want to do, but you can't actually deliver on that. If you're not known for registration, that is not part of your platform. I mean, put a registration company within yours, work with them so that they directly integrate. It's not a let me pick 17 different technology pieces and put my tech stack together myself. Let's see how we can better serve the industry. Let's make it work together. I mean, how many platforms work with the StreamYards, Restream, Zoom, all of the above? How many also block from them? But I mean, just making sure that they work together versus you figure out how you can put all of your pieces together. So, and how do you with find a better it? product? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. How, how do you find it though when you're going out to market? And, and I'm sure event specialists have both used themselves a lot of different technology platforms and also have clients that come with a pre agreed kind of contract or we work with this XY company. Yeah. How easy do you find it to actually find out which technologies work with those platforms when they come to you? It is starting to be a struggle. Um, I honestly believe that we're in a position, I mean, I can only speak for our, myself and for our team, um, in that we are starting to streamline and we are not going to work with mm. just any platform um, or any provider because what I'm seeing is that we are being told and, and using the technology in a way that was working their roadmap is changing how the platform and the tools are working. And that's now becoming a disservice to our team. We have to relearn all of the time. Um, I'm not opposed to learning. I mean, truth be told, I mean, I come from the professional development world. I love all things education, but I do feel like it comes a point where we're, we're almost overstepping. Like it's just mm -hmm. becoming too much to learn and too many different pieces. And I am, tired of trying to learn your nuances because you've decided that your platform should now have people walking around or your streaming provider no longer is the streaming provider. So we've in integrated a new webcasting tool into your, into the back end of the platform that we're also not going to let you stream to. I mean, we're a producer <laughs> a production company and we can't produce into it unless we have a different kind of player to be able to integrate with your player. Like, I just feel like we're starting to get a little too murky in how our technology is working. Um, yeah. And we're just gouging at this point. I've, I've, I've seen the same and, and those goalposts often move with very or little or to yeah. no notice. Right. So people have been left with, Oh, well this way, how we have it planned this way is going to work. And then seven days out from the event, like you just said, Oh, we've switched this. We've changed this. We're no longer working with that company. And you're like yeah. left holding the baby a bit. Cause you're like, well, what do we do now? Yeah. One, like you say, you've got to learn something totally new. Worse, go back to a customer and say how you had it planned can't happen. Um, and, and almost locked out from, from, from what you had planned. It's like, it's almost like a physical yeah. venue saying, oh, by the way, we've now gone from three exits to one exit and it's another mile that's away it. from the venue. Um, that, that's, that's, that's happened a lot I've seen in terms of change of direction from, from platforms. And then also charge you for it. We've had that also happen. We no longer offer that streaming service that you signed your contract for at the beginning. And now we have a new a new partner. And if you would like to now use ours, our polling capabilities, it's going to cost you an additional. 
sneaky sneaky new revenue tactics yeah yep. contracts I, I i don't know about you we see i've seen a lot of and i guess this is where some of the platforms kind of reevaluating what they offer but pricing changing quite drastically from yep. from one event cycle to to the next yeah i feel um, like they everybody's panicking now that they don't have the multi-year deals so pre like early pandemic i feel like everyone rushed to sign these contracts without realizing what their true goals and needs are and now they're locked into a one two or three year deal but now that these cycles are up for renewal that is i feel like i'm getting a lot of panic sales calls can we renew now we're only renewing for three years instead of one year and we're only doing for this much now like i just feel like it's it's panic mode to keep the revenue spike that they had this year no no shadow of a doubt there's more competition in the market there's Fair. younger companies that are more savvy about the way that they're approaching their sales and marketing yep. i think from a technology standpoint you know yes okay there's a lot to do with what that company is about and the team behind it but if you do have a budget cut then you need to go out and look at the market then you're going to choose a technology based on that Arguably, I have said for, for many a year now, don't get don't get tied into multi-year deals unless you are 100% sure yeah. that it's going to do two things for you. Either safeguard you from change or safeguard mm -hmm. you from price increases. Because it does, it does work well. You know, I, I mean, we've used StreamYard for a good couple of years now. We could probably move over to Remo or, you know, Livestream or one of the other solutions quite easily. But we're embedded in this now so our, our team know that That's we right. don't have to spend money on changing so it, in those scenarios it can work well but this market is changing so quickly that i don't know how you can go well i'm definitely going to use this for the next five years i think i've he even heard some crazy like seven year requests or right. something like that <laughs> that's like your venues that you're buying that you're paying for seven years out Nobody would do that, right? Maybe two years. People do venue deals for two years. Oh, I've seen the four and five years. Really? Yeah. That's scary. I'm going <laughs> to put you. I am going to put you on the spot. Um, who do you think is one of the more innovative platforms out there? How, do do event Ooh. specialists have? You obviously you clearly do. So by the way, by all means, give them a shout out. This is not a paid promotion. Um, do you have a favorite in terms of platform and technology? And if so, why? I'd, I'd love to know that. That's interesting. I actually feel like I don't have like a true favorite. I feel like it comes from which type of event we're planning. Um, mm -hmm. Anything Canadian, we tend to go feed loop event Moby. It's one of those. Um, I'm also going to sound very rude. A lot of the platforms that I prefer to work with as well are also tried and trues. Those here pre-pandemic. Yep. because they already had the technology. We were already working with them. I feel like Meeting Play is another one of those yep. companies that we don't hear too often. Well, I, I say that depends on your industry, but I feel like we don't hear that name as much. Um, but there are some new players too, who I feel like came on the scene to, um, to do things a little bit different. Like if I shout out the Toronto company, Rally, I mean, Rally was yep. created literally just for a birthday party um, for them, I'm like, how is that for innovation? <laughs> and what they saw was the need for background music, something as super simple as mm. background music to keep people engaged and for you to feel like you're 
in a bar, in a room where there's background noise and the speakers are speaking, like all of those kinds of things. And they made it fun. Like it was literally designed for that. Um, so I totally gave them multiple, like all in. They're also local. <laughs> so we support the locals. Um, I'm trying to think of who truly is innovative though, enough for me to, for ease of use, I feel like um, swap card we use a fair bit. Yep. Um, if we think of an organization that we want a little bit more, some of the bells and whistles and the fun, we do also work with an event. I find that the in event team, they were tr truth be told, um, even though they were younger, they were not here new pandemic, but because they were younger, I felt like they still understood customer service. So we could still get a hold of them if we had questions. I feel like some of the other partners that I won't name because I don't want to be disrespectful to sure. them um, only worked on their own time zones and customer service was atrocious. And I remember saying, and I was actually, I mean, we're a certified partner for a couple of them now that have changed their models, but I truly was beating the drum of we will not work with this organization because customer service to me is more important than whether or not you have the new um, bells and whistles on your platform. The fact that your platform, um, we went live for a couple of events and your team was not working mm -hmm. because it's off hours is astounding to me. Regardless of if, whether or not you provide tech support or not, if there is no engineer or someone to fix the platform, if something happens, that blows my mind. That's too risk heavy for me. I don't think it even matters if nothing goes wrong. Ultimately, that's the goal, right? Nothing goes wrong. Nobody yeah. needs support. Um, and this is, again, this is something that like Event Tech Live and we are trying to educate on is the right language, the right things to ask when okay. it comes to service level agreements, response times. Um, sorry, if anybody hears my little baby boy in the background, he's, he's grumpy today. So do apologize if that's coming through. <laughs> I thought that was the first time I heard him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is, this is part of the, the, the transition and the change that our industry needs to go to because sourcing things like flowers and furniture and catering and stuff is different to technology. That's right. You need to be able to ask the right things. What is your service level, level agreement? What do you have as a an agreed response time on live days and non-live days. That's right. Can you even buy somebody's time just to be sat there on your event as that resource, as that go yep. between support and you guys to make sure that there's somebody on hand, right? And I've said this for a lot for a long, long time. Our industry, when it comes to the SaaS, should mean software and the service. That's not right. The software as a service. So yeah, the, the companies that you mentioned there were 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 fantastic examples we, i know many of them a couple of mine that i really like um and i'm not just saying it because i know she's watching the team i, I apologize for those i didn't name <laughs> yeah, i feel like we always get in trouble i'm like i totally i'm sorry <laughs> it's fine you can't name everybody there's hundreds of them but <laughs> technology that i've specifically used for our own internal stuff the team at twine i think they're doing what they're doing very very succinctly very very purposefully and actually doing a really, really good job at not getting distracted with all the requests for everything else that yeah. everybody wants to kind of bolt onto their technology. So if you are looking for a speed networking, a matchmaking system for putting people together over, over this kind of thing, their, their technology is fantastic. We use that for the Event Tech Founders Forum. And I'll also give a shout out to a organization called Luma, L-U dot M-A. Do say that. Um, <laughs> 
they have a fantastic registration system and I, it boggles my mind that we still don't have great uh, stellar registration systems there are some really bad examples out there in terms of, of registration systems but they have an, a, they have such a cool easy to use and it's free I, I don't know how they're driving revenue I have no idea but the fact that their technology is free to use for registration emails follow-ups you can create communities off the back of it you can host content for your community so if you you know we could host this for an event tech talk show community there on-demand library access mm -hmm. if you're looking for something to kind of do that registration and registration follow-up marketing and have somewhere to host your content from your event if you're doing kind of like webinars and things like that fantastic piece of technology and that's innovation to me because they've not Absolutely. come from the registration world they've come from I think the two guys in New York obviously the team's bigger now but they came probably from the same side they, like rally did you know a problem of not being able to find anything fit for purpose and they've come out with, okay. with, with some really strong technology if we see a spark of innovation and a, and a continued investment in technology mahogany and this can be outside of the virtual platform world because I do like to remind people there is so much technology outside Absolutely. of platforms for our sector. What kind of what kind of technology excites you or what would you like to see come into the sector in terms of technology from a purposeful, useful perspective for you on a day-to-day -day basis? And I, you may be you may be mentioned something earlier about kind of like project management. Is that, is that an area that you still feel we're, we're kind of lacking on in the, in the sector? I do feel like, um, and this was even pre-pandemic, I felt like the confusion between an event management software and a registration software was so, it's, I think, I feel like it still happens. Mm -hmm. um, because your tool offers registration, that is not project management or event management. And I feel like that was confusing. One thing I would like to see um, is a true cost analysis tool in the back end to truly track ROI of an event. Because I feel like um, the only numbers we're looking at is registration in um, into the platform. And then that is the winning number. But I don't feel like we're tracking it properly against um, the expenses of the event, how we can maximize it. I honestly feel like we should be able to add a quotient that's an ROE, that there's a little bit more value there if you have a show up rate of this percentage to this percentage. Um, we have to stop going with the vanity metrics. And I feel like that's all we're looking at when it comes to stats. So I would love to see like a full service, full round. I mean, maybe there is something out there. I just haven't found it. But um, full service event management software that can actually work as a project management tool, cost analysis, um, and things like that. Okay, so I will give a shout out to one company, Joy Events, if you've not come across those. Um, Rob Vass, the founder of Joy Events, came from very much that side of things. And, ah. and is it the beginning of creating this? So please don't anybody go jump into him and be like, oh, it doesn't do this, it doesn't do this. It's <laughs> they've, got, they've got to start somewhere. But they're yep. starting at that core and actually their, their roadmap is working out towards, okay, we know registration is part of what somebody's going to want. This is down the roadmap. We need to get the scheduling, the budgeting, all of those kind of really key need, uh, everything that still exists on spreadsheets, right? That's right. Um, in, terms of, in terms of other things. And, and yes, there are Asanas and pipe drives and other Mondays and notions and things like that out there. 
but they're, they're, they're very generic in their approach. They're not necessarily event specific. So they're not going to know the nuances of how to organize an event, right? Exactly. Uh, you know, they don't really know how when you hire a light and then you times that by two days and then there's an overlay and the shipping costs and, all, and then how that how that affects exactly. the budget, right? Um, so they're, they're one that's coming, or they're, they're out now, they, they are operational, but they're building out that robust kind of event planner solution. I like it. I think the one I'd like is, is definitely on what you say. It's, it's kind of twofold. It's a solution for the event teams to be able to engage with a prospective sponsor or exhibitor and say, you know, what's your major objective? What are you looking to do? that then gives them the key indicators that they need it's not just about the ten thousand people in a room because nobody can speak to ten thousand people anyway it's just it just it's, but this is how marketing decisions are made right visibility yeah. large numbers and then offer them the right solution whether that's a stand a sponsorship a paid for speaking opportunity which that's events it. do and all that kind of stuff yeah but then also some actual a scoring right because this is one of the things that I feel many people invest in events and then approach it in very, very different ways. Some will put all of their focus on an event. They will do social media. They'll ask all the right questions. They'll put lots of time and effort into, you know, we've made this, this investment and now we're going to activate it in the right way. And then others, you see it time and time again, do a tweet two hours before the events opening and be like, yeah, we're here. And then they're the ones that are like, we didn't get any ROI from the anything. event. <laughs> we didn't get anything from the event. The, the right people that we want to speak to aren't in the room. I think technology can answer a lot of that question. Mm -hmm. we're, we're using a lot of it on Event Tech Live in terms of lead scoring, lead quality, who's speaking to who, dwell time, down to individual stands, competitor analysis across the show and things like that. But I would, I would love to, it sounds awful. I would love to give a report card to, to every exhibitor and sponsor. And it's say, true. We, we, this is what we understand about how you approach the event. And this is where you can improve whether, mm -hmm. that's, that, whether that's with us or, it's, or, or your next exhibition or event, if you approach it this way. And I think that would be a really valuable tool for somebody to come out because not only is that going to help companies get better that do want to do events at doing events, um, it does overcome some of the opinion-led objections or, or, or the reasons the event didn't ultimately, you know, meet a quota or, or an expected target. But I think it's the start of also providing a true visibility on the value of our industry from a, a, a consumer and customer engagement perspective in terms of what value companies actually get out. It's true. At the moment, it feels like many people just walk away with a feeling from an event um from a marketing perspective so i would i would love to i would love to see something like that that would be exceptional i like it yes <laughs> let's do it <laughs> we'll, I, i'll go and get the funding because i know a few vcs that are looking for some money we, we, we'll, we'll, we'll work on it together we'll probably rope dahlia and, and her right? going to it and something like that <laughs> i do i do feel like as an industry there are definitely some of us that should come together and kind of drive some kind of hackathon or or something like that. Maybe there's a few event technology companies, a few developers or something that will come together and work with us over I a like project it. and create something new for the industry by the industry. That would be- Shout out to Anne and Sean. 
exactly what they do too yep absolutely absolutely <laughs> um mahogany you're coming and joining us um in just over a week's time in london it's so soon yeah <laughs> um give us a highlight a little bit of talk about what you're going to be what you're going to be talking about at at the show talking about event production past 2020 i know we're in 2021 but we're going to talk about past 2020 because i feel like the pandemic changed how we look at content and delivery and production elements of our events but then i feel like we've also gone back to the basics and then sort of realized that there's more opportunity than ever before so yes i, I must forward to sharing i have to agree there was lots of adoption has been what seems to be lots of going back to the way we did things i'm hoping we will come back out of that and and a new you know a new fire will be stoked under people to to adopt to try things new to to approach things like you've just said there in a in a totally different way and for anybody watching or listening back on demand where can they reach out to obviously they can you know get in touch with you and meet up with you at events like live but outside of that like where are the best places to to get in touch with you mahogany i'm most active on linkedin you can find me mahogany jones on linkedin and i'm also mahogany jones on twitter and instagram and, and then the company you can find us at eventspecialist.ca we are canadian.ca there you go. <laughs> please do reach out mahogany her and her team really know their stuff as, as clearly was has been apparent from from this episode one final question and a fun one you say that you're a poutine aficionado. So for <laughs> anybody visiting Canada or your hometown, where do they need to go to get poutine? Truth be told, coming to Canada, you should go to Quebec to get your best poutine. Okay. Um, if, here's your tip. If you go somewhere and your poutine is not cheese curds, they are not true. It's not true poutine. So it's just chips and cheese. Yeah, but if they put mozzarella and then it's a fake. It's fake. We need cheese curds. That sounds to me like mozzarella is like Italian, right? Like that would right? make it an Italian thing. So they lie. Um, they lie. <laughs> they make it. As a as a as a as a northern Yorkshireman, as when as I'm no, known here in uh, in England, poutine is like the most British food ever. It's like definitely so chips and cheese. We would definitely well chips and and, and cheese curd definitely something we would be all over and I don't know why it's not more of a popular thing over here it's with it's a true gravy with a true exactly that is a proper Yorkshire thing proper Yorkshire thing I'm so excited <laughs> well Mahogany thank you very much for joining me today um everyone that's watching or listening back on the man please do go and connect up with Mahogany if you are at Event Tech Live if you're listening to this or watching this before then check her out connect up with her get a meeting with her attend a presentation um so yeah Thank you everybody for watching and we'll see you in the next one. See you next week. <laughs>